The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to another episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. The first member of the Bengals draft class to join us on this program, Marcus Bailey. Live my take on is you can be grateful but not not complacent and that's that's how i take it we have one of the greatest players in Bengals history willie anderson i got a chance to watch jonas do those techniques and he did them very well and that's why i, I would argue on twitter with anyone who says oh he's gonna be a car i'm like man this man is playing left tackle in the sec and blocking nfl guys welcome to truck talk my name is matt minnick and my guest today Greg Cassell. Higgins' tape is, is very impressive, and he was effective working both outside the numbers with back shoulder and contested vertical catches, and between the numbers with his big body and wide catch radius and strong hands. Joining us back on the program, Bengals legend, Ken Anderson. You know, I had the size, I had the speed, I had the arm strength, I had the release, and they, they thought, uh, Bill Walsh especially thought, that, that he could mold me into the quarterback that he wanted me to be in. What's up, everybody? It's the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast coming at you Wednesday night. We had a little bit of a scheduling issue earlier in the week with our Monday show, but not for Wednesday night. I'm Anthony Gazenza, joined as always by John Sheeran. John, one of the busiest men covering the Bengals, even in the offseason. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad that uh, I like the updated uh, intro. I'm glad that that Ken Anderson interview got in there from about a couple weeks ago. Um, that, that that was that was good stuff. I'm glad to be here on this Ash Wednesday. I unfortunately did not get my ashes because I don't want to be within six feet of a priest right now. It's COVID, <laughs> but I'm doing good. How are you, man? I'm I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Keeping busy. Like you know, it's weird. We uh, when I, I was typing up a little story to put up on Cincy Jungle, and I, I was kind of like, well, you know, usually this time of, of year is pretty quiet. I mean, yeah, we gear up for the draft, we gear up for free agency, but it just it just seems like. This year, it's still we're just kind of keeping busy, keeping steadily busy, and and I know you're you're keeping especially busy on the website. So uh, it's and it's fun, you know. Last year it was all about the Bengals had the top pick. This year they've got another top five pick. I know the season didn't go how everybody wanted to, but there's still a lot of lot to talk about w- with that. So um, you know, we talked a little bit about that. I, I think in the last couple of episodes, we're going to go over a couple of news and notes surrounding the Cincinnati Bengals. We're going to 
have another state your case segment with some interesting data that John Sheeran is going to provide us. And then of course, we've got uh, another free agency profile to get to. We've been going heavy on the offensive line for these free agency profiles. You'll have to stick around to see if we stay in that, in that realm, or if we go somewhere else, we're going to talk about someone that could be an interesting fit for the Cincinnati Bengals. Well, let's, Kind of get get to, and I guess we can get the negative stuff out of the way first, John. Unfortunately, Adam Jones, and I think you wrote the, the post up on CincyJungle.com. Unfortunately, Adam Jones was recently arrested for another, uh, it was a misdemeanor assault issue. Another, and kind of a long line of issues with, with Adam Jones. You know, I don't want to... I don't want to harbor and hammer on the guy a little bit, but it, it is a shame. It does. It's one of those things that this this time of year, it kind of casts the negative light on the Bengals, even though Jones played for a number of different NFL teams. And some of these issues were when he was with other NFL teams. I don't know, man. I, I he, It was kind of a nice story, a nice redemption story when he came to the Bengals and what he was able to accomplish. He made a pro, pro Bowl as a return man, but just a shame, just a shame. And and I know there's a lot to play out here, but you wrote the story. What are you, what are you thinking about this whole thing? So I guess it's been two years since something like this happened. And, but it kind of just feels like it's an every year thing, unfortunately, which is why, like when it, when it did happen, when the news broke, like, I mean, I don't think anybody was shocked. I, I, I just didn't have any feelings on it. It's like, Oh, it, it happened again. And, um, but yeah, it's like it, it got into the news for a couple hours and then no one really talked about it because it's not like it's just not relevant anymore necessarily. I mean, the, the, the events itself are still not good and there are victims in every single one of these events that he's been found guilty of and he's had to be punished for. So like it's not like that doesn't matter. But in regards to Pac-Man with these these re- these recurring incidents, it's just like, yeah, this is just it's unfortunately who he is. And like un- until he gets and accepts some actual help for the issues that he has, like I I don't really see this really stopping unless he ends up with a sentence that would actually make a difference. And there's still a lot to learn, I guess, about this specific case. But the the initial information of about him just punching and kicking a guy in the head until he's unconscious outside of a nightclub in downtown Cincinnati, it, it's it's not good. And it it there's not there's nothing really more to say about it. It's just it's unfortunately kind of just who is who he is at this point. Yeah, I mean, we had someone say, who cares, uh, in our live chats. We had someone else say, you know, we don't want to be associated with Pat, Pac-Man shenanigans since he's been gone. Well, here's the thing, folks. Number one, he played the bulk of his career with the Bengals. So, unfortunately for, really, the rest of his life, and as long as the Bengals are in existence, he's going to be connected to the team. He made a Pro Bowl with the team. Um, it wasn't the last team he played for, but it was basically towards the very end of his career. And this incident happened in what Hamilton County. Right. So, um, you know, it's, it's just kind of, it's kind of part of what's his career arc a little bit. You know, he's a very talented guy. He's had a lot of trouble. He kind of stayed out of some of it when he was with the Bengals. He kind of kept a low profile a little bit, but there were still some incidents and unfortunately here we are again this week and um, you know, we'll see what happens here, but um, you know, he, he's got a family. He's got a lot of, he's got a, his, a business that he promotes on his social media. So, you know, it just would be, it would be great for him to just 
kind of calm all this stuff down and, and focus on those two things and, uh, you know, move on from there. But for those who did not hear, I, I don't know how you couldn't, but Pac-Man got into a little bit of trouble earlier this week. And that article is on cincyjungle.com. Well, let's, uh, b- before we move on to the next one, uh, the next piece of news, John, there's um, a comment from uh, Jackass of All Trades, who is our, our buddy, Jason Von Stein, who, by the way, supplied the music to this most recent intro we did. So go check out, I think he's got some stuff on iTunes and stuff. Jason Von Stein, he's a great friend of the show, does a lot of stuff, supports our show. So I want to give him a little shout out there, that that tune, the music tune you heard to enter that show. You've probably heard it over the course of a year or so. It's called Mr. Misery. He supplied us with it. Pretty cool little tune, and uh, we wanted to show him a little support. So thanks, Jason, for the tune there. But let's move on. A lot of talk about J.J. Watt, John. Um, I guess we can start with the fact that a lot of people believe he's going to go to the Browns. That seems to be the favorite based on the rumor mill, but a number I think it's been three, by my count, of Bengals players on social media have lobbied to bring J.J. Watt, whether it's just one little one-liners or what have you, but it was Tyler Boyd, it was D.J. Reader, and it was Christian Covington. The latter two played with him in Houston on the defensive line, so they've got a relationship with him. So uh, what, do you, what do you make of that? I mean, do you think that the, there's any chance that the Bengals sign him, and uh, is it just a little bit of, hey, you know, these guys know him personally, and they're just trying to – to drag him over to Cincinnati. Well, let's just let's just work on like what the Bengals have in favor right now because they have the money to sign him. They have mm-hmm. the need to sign him. They need defensive players on, on the defensive line, and they have the cap space to do it. It's really a matter of what he wants. And like what, what we were seeing on Twitter was that you had Tyler Boyd like randomly reaching out to him over Twitter, like, "Hey, come to Cincinnati." But um, like that's not that's not the connection. Like the connection, and I think the first to point this out was. Um, Paul Daner Jr. of the Athletic Bengals podcast, he said that, yeah, like DJ Reader was extremely close to JJ Watt when they were both in Houston. Like, I, I think Reader was asked about Watt in a press conference last year and he glowed and raved to talk about him. Like, he's like a lifelong friend and like he's going to be a lifelong friend for years to come. That's like the bond that they had. So, yeah, I think the opportunity to, to reunite with Reader is something that would, in theory, interest Watt. And that's that's why Reader kind of reached out to him. And then Christian Covington, who is a free agent this year for the Bengals. He might not return, but he also played a couple years with Watt in Houston. So there are some connections with the current defensive line. And there's a reason why Watt would want to be interested in reuniting here. But it's more than just about the money at this point, right? Like J.J. Watt has spent 10 years, won a couple of playoff games against the Bengals, but never really made it beyond like the past the first or second round of the playoffs. He's in his early 30s. He has one decent sized payday left, but I think he just wants that that legacy right that that chance to compete for an actual Lombardi and to be a part of an organization that he can count on because going from the Texans like you pretty much be upgrading in terms of culture and organizational you know and management and all that stuff so I don't think like that's like he'll, he'll get upgrade but I think he'll be prioritizing going to a place that's going to treat him right and get him in the best position to get these final accolades on his career resume actual team success that can boost his resume when he when he finally retires and gets into the Hall of Fame conversation. And he should be a Hall of Famer regardless if he wins a ring or not. But I think that's important to him to to kind of go off into the sunset on a team that's that's competing at the end of the season, which is why the Browns are in consideration. And we're in this point right now. Like the Browns are a better chance, are are in a better position for veterans like J.J. Watt to reach team success than the Bengals. I didn't think we'd ever be here in my lifetime, but that's where we are. And it's not just the Browns; it's the Packers too. He's he went to Wisconsin. He went to Wisconsin. He's from there. Um, I think the Bills are also involved as a, as a good fit. So it's not just the Browns; 
but like they make a lot of sense because they also need a pass rusher. They, they need a guy that can move from the inside and the outside, and it, it makes sense for what he wants. It's a bizarro world when you know you you hear about a superstar wanting to finish his career with a winner, and a choice may come down to the Bengals and the the and the Browns are the ones that. <laughs> are, are potentially the, the the better option. It's just kind of a bizarre world based on the the recent history between those two teams. But look, um, I, what do you think he has, if anything, left in the tank? I mean, do you think it, there's been some injury issues? There's, but I mean, he still was a product. I think he still had a, a pretty good PFF score um, last year, and you know, there's been some injury issues over the past couple of years. But I mean. Do you pay the big price tag and expect massive production? I think he's now entering what is eleventh year, tenth year. Um, so, I mean, do you expect the big production, or is this just kind of paying for a name and a legacy at this point, and not so much the production? You're muted, I think. It's definitely more of like he's not he's not Mike Daniels at this point. Like he's still really good. He's more than just a name, um, but like he's a part of that 2011 class that we're now seeing. Guys like AJ Green, Patrick Peterson kind of fall off and like exit their prime, but JJ Watts is still a, a pretty good player. And it's unfortunate because like he used to be he used to be the Aaron Donald before Aaron Donald, right? He was this multi-defensive player of the year candidate, the guy that was always approaching 20 sacks. He's not that player anymore. And I think because of that, people think that he just like he's it's not that good anymore. But his peak was so high that now that he's not playing at that peak, people think that he's kind of fallen off and not a good player. He's still a really good player, specifically as a run defender, as a guy who can just plug any gap that you put him in, but he's not like, I mean, he's, he's got some tread on the tires. He's going to be 32 this year. And he's just not the guy that compete for like 10 plus sacks anymore, or just like a high pressure rate. But I think PFF still graded him like above 70 and yeah. I think 12 or 13 games of, of last season. He didn't play so well against the Bengals, which was surprising, but he's still a really high quality player and, and worth like a decent two year deal. So I think whoever signs him is going to get, a high impact player for at least one season and who and who knows what deal he, he ends up getting but i think for 2021 you can still count on jj watt being an asset more than a liability yeah jj watt is like a shiny maserati just one with 150,000 miles on it says russ ent in our live youtube chat i like that one that was pretty good um you know i i, I guess I guess I would leave with leave you with this question. What what would you just for this in the small chance? Because I think it, I think we both agree it is a very small chance that he would end up in Cincinnati. There are a couple of connections, and the Bengals do have some cap space. Are potentially freeing up some cap space, not only for players that are impending free agents, but guys that they just might shed in terms of contract numbers from from their roster this year that they do have under contract. So they they'll have some space to be able to to sign him if they really wanted to, but. What would you, if they were able to land him, would you be, would you be like, wow, this is an all in move. This is, this is, you know, a, a great, one of the better free agency signings the Bengals have ever made. Or would you say, yeah, kind of a guy that's past his prime, big name, all that kind of stuff. I don't know. I, I just, how would you, how would you feel if he were to end up coming to Cincinnati at this point? Well, it all depends on what deal he gets, but I feel like it, kind of makes sense for what the Bengals usually are like because you're not signing jj watt at, at peak value you're not overpaying mm-hmm. for a guy who's playing at his best you're probably paying like a modest deal for a guy who can still give you something which is more or less what the Bengals have tried to do in recent years All, obviously not as big of a name as jj watt so it's going to get perceived a little bit differently but yeah i think that would it would speak volumes you know to fill 
a definite need for like one of the defensive line spots at a guy who can still very much play. And he's not going to be like, he's not going to be ex- as expensive as his, his previous contract with Houston, but he's not going to be necessarily cheap. Like he'll still probably cost like average annual value over like 12 million. Yeah. Which is like, it's, it's not, it's not nothing. It would still be like a high price free agent for the Bengals. But no, I, I think it would be a, a serious move. And it's like, it's like the pristine, like, type of move that the Bengals usually make and it could actually like net you some value but like I, I guess say, say like he does go to the Browns right like I, I thought about this a couple days ago and if, the, if they are the real favorites like if he does go to the Browns and he joins that defensive line th- does that like actually like change anything in, in the in the dynamic of this rivalry because the Browns defensive line is still already really good and it's not like adding JJ Watt makes that matchup between the, the Browns defensive line the Bengals offensive line like that much more lopsided. Like the Bengals still have trouble against the Browns defense line, regardless of who they have. And it's just like, yeah, if he goes to the Browns, it, it's obviously a win for the Browns, but like it, it, I don't think it really changes, I guess that much from, from what the Bengals think. Like they still need to prove the offensive line regardless. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, you know, I'm seeing some other, what about Kawan short, the defensive lineman from Carolina? There's kind of some injury issues and a little bit more of a falling off a cliff, uh, so to speak on the, in terms of production than, than there is with Watt in terms of recent history, but short could be another guy that the Bengals look at for a, um, a little more of a bargain bargain type of deal at the end of his career. He had a couple of great seasons with Carolina, another guy that the Bengals could bring in former second round pick big name that, you know, they may try and get a year or two out of to, to be a rotational piece. So that's another, that's another name to watch, I suppose. Let's transition a little bit, John. I, I mean, we're talking free agency and if the Bengals do make a splash or two in free agency, whether it's on the offensive line, whether it's on the de- defensive line or wherever else, the Bengals are kind of getting some run from at least CBS sports and pro football focus saying that uh, one pro football focus called them a sleeper team for 21. And, uh, or maybe I'm, Maybe I'm mixing the two up. I have to look. But basically, one of them called them a playoff-bound type of team, and the other called them a sleeper team for 21, one that could be in the playoff picture at least. Um, So I I don't know. I mean, is this just kind of talking points for the offseason when it's a little slower? Or, you know, is this dependent upon what is going to occur over the next couple of months to you? Or do you think that, hey, you know, even even just getting Joe Burrow back, they're going to be in that conversation in terms of being in the playoff picture, regardless of the impacts of free agency in the draft class? I'm actually a little surprised that we're seeing anything about like national media predicting the Bengals to go to the playoffs after this season. Not necessarily because like I think everyone expects the Bengals to improve once Burrow gets healthy and they add some more pieces and whatnot. But just the fact that the division is what it is now. Like the Browns are no longer projected to be a good team. They are a good team and the Steelers are still good until they aren't. And they very well could not be good with whatever is going to happen with them this off season. But I think people still trust them to be competitive enough where they're not going to be a bottom of the, of, of the division team. And the Ravens are obviously still the Ravens. And as long as Lamar Jackson plays well enough, they're, they're going to be good. Just, it's just like the Steelers. You don't expect the Ravens to bottom out in the way that a Bengals team could and has done for the past couple of years. So the fact that the, that, that the division is so strong right now and the Bengals still haven't really got that much better. Like I'm surprised to see anybody call them a su- surprise playoff team, but I can definitely see like a sleeper because things can definitely turn in the Bengals favor with the division. I think the Browns are still like, like the team that people expect to just continue to get better and probably stay 
at at or near the top. They'd have to, like the least amount of questions to ponder over, I guess, aside from the perception of, of them being the Browns. But I, I can definitely understand why people are calling the sleep. I just don't really understand the whole playoff talk with the fact that three teams from the division went to the playoffs last year. Right. And I, I think where I pause and Dr. Hooday in our live YouTube chat mentions it a little bit here. Um, it says they weren't blown. He says they weren't blown out all year within a score for most of the losses. Maybe that's where, you know, some of the, some of the reasoning comes from in terms of why some of these talking heads are, are pointing to the Cincinnati Bengals. But here's the thing. I, I, I just a little confused like you are, it sounds like why these predictions, these bold predictions about the Bengals were made without any free agency moves to date, nor a draft class coming in. I think once you kind of absorb all of those transactions and what they do and don't do, I think that would give you a clearer picture. I mean, I, I get it. You, this time of year, you probably kind of you, you throw some some ideas and perceptions out there. I get that, but um, the the other element with it is is though is that element of the Bengals losing these close games and Zach Taylor still not having an answer for that issue um, at least two years in. So and there there really wasn't wholesale coaching changes this year after winning six six games and having a tie in those two seasons. So. If, if these are going to come to fruition, John, I mean, that's going to – a lot of the script is going to need to be flipped there. I mean, we talked all offseason, I feel like, about close game regression yeah. and how it was supposed to be in the Bengals' favor. And then when it wasn't, you have, you have to just sit back and say, maybe this is not a bad luck thing. Maybe this is just kind of who they are until they aren't. And then we heard at the very end, like, oh, yeah, they're going to make you know significant coaching changes. And really the biggest one was the offensive line coach, the one that's really going to matter the most. Like, yeah, yeah Justin Hill – you know, Marion Hobby, they could be, they could be good coaches for here, but like Frank Pollock is the real only change that they have. They're banking it all on overhauling the roster. And, and until that happens, it's really just an unknown right now. It's all just conjecture. Yep. And the Bengals, there's there are some reports there. I mean, we're seeing a lot of questions. Do you think the Bengals are going to grab this offensive lineman or what have you in the live chats? Uh, I mean, they're going to grab offensive linemen, draft and or free agency, probably both. It, it's just a matter of whom and and in what rounds in the draft but they're going to dra- grab offensive linemen i mean we think we have some ideas as to pff just put out a, an article about you know joe tooney being their predicted they're predicting joe tooney to land to the Bengals with a specific contract that sort of thing so i mean he's kind of the hot name connected to the Bengals. we'll see what happens there but a lot to take to take place over the next couple of months this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast going through a little bit of news and notes as it pertains to the Cincinnati Bengals and diving into some opinion about those pieces of news. If you're new to this show and you're joining us live, thank you. If you're new to the show and downloading after the fact, thank you. We're on all the major audio streaming platforms after the fact. So go download it. Leave us a review if you could. That would be great. And try and join us live, whether it's for this Wednesday night show, our listener questions live show that we usually do on Friday, or our uh, water cooler chat on Monday that we do. We go through all kinds of headlines throughout the NFL and with the Bengals. Try and join us for that if you can. And also check out the great shows from Matt Minnick doing Chalk Talk and Ace and Zim, who do the Orange is the New Black podcast, all part of the Cincy Jungle podcast channel. Ace and Zim just had our good buddy Bengal Jim Foster on their program last night. Fun, fun listen there, so check that out. And we appreciate all the support that you have continued to show this program. 
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, and also speaking to Zim. Just got my Burrow Babies hat in the mail a couple days ago. Um, definitely check out Zim at zimhude.com. He has great merch. And also check out our own Matt Minnick. He has merch as well. You can find that, I believe, on his Twitter profile. So we got merch. Um, I don't know when our show is going to get merch, but it might, might be down the road. We'll, we'll have to consult a graphic designer or something because I guarantee you it's not going to be as cool as Burrow Babies. But That's, moving that on. Is a, that is a good one. Yeah. It, and- it's a yeah, and uh, you know, I would I would design hats, but nobody likes the way I wear my bills on my hat. So, uh, I, well, I'm I, sure, like, well, like, it's all about the design. Like, I'm sure we can create like a dad hat too, you know, with a, more of a curved bill. Uh, honestly, like, I don't understand the hate. Like, you have, I do not have the head for a flat bill. I think you have the head for a flat bill. Oh, uh, you're uh, you're you're kind. No, it, it, it's just like just just do do what fits you. And I think anyone who doesn't like the flat bills, they they're just mad they can't wear them with the same hats. <laughs> And I think that's honestly what it is. Yeah. But moving on, um, we're going to do state your case this week a little bit differently. It's not just necessarily a a normal declaration, I guess. But my state your case is Anthony Kazenza is incredible at predicting rookie quarterback production. <laughs> okay, that's well, it's a joke, but it's not a joke because for people who who've listened to the show for for over a year now, you'll have to remember back before the 2019 draft class, the, the guy to my I guess right or left on whatever the screen was really high on Gardner Minshew. And all of a sudden Gardner Minshew explodes in his rookie season with the Jaguars. And then um, this time last year, when everyone else is on the Joe Burrow train, Anthony was really high on Justin Herbert. Both guys produced so well relative to their expectations and played so tremendously well compared to when we last saw them in college. And I don't know, (laughs) excuse me, if either guy is going to be as good as they were, in the rookie years long term, specifically with Herbert. But I know that Anthony has has a thing for just picking out just good quarterbacks. And Herbert is really the, the topic of our stager case. Whereas it's unfortunate where Bengals fans kind of like, they feel defensive a little bit with Burrow now because Herbert had a great rookie season. And it's almost like, yeah, like, but, you know, we have to defend Burrow because if, if we accept that Herbert is the better quarterback or he had the better season, then we have to accept the fact that the Bengals made the wrong decision when that's not necessarily the case at all because it was just one year, whatever. But I'm here to say that Justin Herbert did play better than Joe Burrow in his rookie season. But the things that he did well, the reasons why his volume production and his aesthetically pleasing box score numbers were better was for things that were very unstable on a year-to-year basis. And I think we all kind of knew that. We, we all kind of read some stuff from Pro Football Focus during the season and after the season on why that was the case. But this week, Pro Football Focus released their... QB annual, which is it's the best singular tool for analyzing and ranking quarterbacks based off the previous season. Like nobody does it more in depth and provides more context to quarterback production than this like 300, 400 page PDF. And I wanted to pull um, like about maybe 10 um, specific stats in regards to Burrow and Herbert for the things of why Herbert ended up being better from like a total volume production standpoint. So we're going to start with deep passing right 
And it's not necessarily an unstable thing, but it's one of the biggest differences in why Burrow was just not on Herbert's level. So in terms of on-target percentage, Burrow was 21% on target for throws of 20-plus yards. Justin Herbert, 40% on target for throws of 20-plus yards. The Mm. average NFL is 42%. On vertical lead routes, where it's just like just straight nine balls, just go out and get it, like just leading him him in front, Burrow was 29% accuracy. Justin Herbert's 37%. The average is 45. So Herbert has the advantage again. Over the shoulder accuracy. So it's just like more towards the sideline, more using that sideline as like more using the body as as basically defense on the sideline throws. Burrow was 14% accurate, had 14% accuracy. Justin Herbert was 32%. The average is 34. So on average, Burrow was or Herbert was so much more accurate on those deep balls. And that's why he ended up having so much more product. It wasn't just about AJ Green and T Higgins not fighting for it enough on those deep balls. Like Justin Herbert was objectively more accurate on those deep passes. Let's go to under pressure, which is like the biggest thing. It's the mm-hmm. most unstable of for year to year. And, and this is why Joe Burrow had a 52.3% passer rating under pressure. Justin Herbert, 99.4. The average for the entire NFL was 65. So like production, like J- Justin Herbert was over the moon for what he was expected to be under pressure mm-hmm. for not just a rookie quarterback, for, for, but for veterans like there it's possible to be this productive under pressure, like for a rookie or a veteran for one year, but to continue that pace or just be anywhere near that for from a year to year is just so unlikely. And let's go, let's go even further on target percentage. Again, Joe Burrow was 53.5% accurate under pressure. Justin Herbert, 69.8% on target percentage. The average was 63 so again, Justin Herbert above average, big time throw percentage. This is like throws in tight windows or under pressure or whatever. It's like it's like the highlight throws. It's the ones you see on ESPN. Justin Herbert under pressure, eight point eight percent big time throw percentage. Joe Burrow three point nine. The average is five point nine. Again, Justin Herbert way above average. It's just not something you see every year. Now on on scrambles because scrambles are not always under pressure, but usually on scramble drills you're dealing with. You know, buying time and escaping rushers and whatever, it, it falls along the same line. Joe Burrow, big time throw percentage on scramble drills, 23%, but his EPA per play on scramble drills is negative 0.24. Justin Herbert, on the other hand, big time throw percentage on scramble drills, 5.3%, but a 0.16 EPA per play. So, what that means is that Joe Burrow was making four times as many high level throws on scramble drills. But Justin Herbert was tremendously more productive on scramble drills. So Justin Herbert was seeing the yards, he was seeing the touchdowns, he was seeing the first downs on the scramble drills. But Joe Burrow was making so many more high quality throws, he just wasn't seeing that production. And that, that, those things just kind of even out as, as you go on. And then finally, on third down, Justin Herbert had 99.4 pass rate on third down. Joe Burrow, 52.3. The average is 85. On target percentage, they were both at 69%, and the average was 69%. But Joe Burrow had almost nearly twice as big of a turnover-worthy throw percentage. So throws that either were turnovers or should have been turn- turnovers. So Joe Burrow had like t- had like a turnover-worthy percentage twice as big as Justin Herbert, which means that even though they were both pretty accurate on the situations, either the separation wasn't there for the receivers or it was just... It was something that wasn't along the lines of making good of making accurate throws. It's more decision making. And on third down, that's when you see blitzes more. You see more, you know, complex coverages, and it's not necessarily indicative of the the, the totality of the quarterback play. 
And then I just want to throw some miscellaneous miscellaneous stats here. Joe Burrow was 21% more accurate compared to the NFL average between 10 to 19 yards down the field. Justin Herbert was only 1% more accurate compared to the NFL average. So Joe, Joe Burrow was so much more accurate compared to the average quarterback on 10 to 19 throws. So that intermediate range. This is where he had the monument, monumental PFF grade for that range. And then also in regards to separation and receiving talent, Joe Burrow only had 42% of his throws towards open receivers. Justin Herbert, 56%. The average was 56. So more times than not, Joe Burrow was throwing to tight windows or closing windows, and his receivers didn't have a lot of separation. That wasn't the case with Justin Herbert. And finally, maybe the most jarring one, on checkdowns, just little mm-hmm. dump-offs to receivers. Mm-hmm. Justin Herbert's EPA per play, 0.32. Joe Burrow, negative 0.29. Mm. That's that's wow. huge. I'm yeah. just like simple place. So Justin Herbert's just dumping it off, and his and his running backs or receivers are running 20 yards down the field. Joe Burrow, I think he had, I think that interception against the Chargers was on a check down or something like that. He just wasn't getting that production off those easy plays. So what all that meant, if you kept up, the production was not there for Joe Burrow, but the decision making was, and for and for just for Joe Herbert, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, name sound familiar, whatever. On for Justin Herbert. The production was there. The decision-making wasn't always there. And he just had a little bit more luck with his receivers. He was better throwing the deep ball. He was better at areas that just aren't sustainable from year to year. That's why you saw the increase in production from Justin Herbert. That's why you saw more modest production from Joe Burrow. But it'll be really interesting to compare this data in years from now to see if Justin Herbert kept that pace or if Joe Burrow had a season like that where he just got more luck throwing his way. All... Very interesting data, and I'm glad you kind of tied a nice ribbon at the end there as to you know what what all this can mean in terms of sustainability of those certain areas of the of the data and and other areas that wherein Joe Burrow was superior are actually indicators of you know superior quarterback play. Look, when I when I was kind of waving the the Herbert flag, if you will, back in December of 2019 and early spring, this wasn't to say I did not want the Bengals to draft Joe Burrow. I, I, especially as I watched more Joe Burrow, especially during that playoff or that epic college playoff run where he won the national championship, then I was all in. My point was this guy should not, Herbert should not have been completely out of the argument uh, based on some factors. I watched a lot of Justin Herbert based on my being on the West Coast, and a lot of the numbers that people saw, stat lines in games, weren't indicative of ac- his actual play in those games. There, He was plagued his last year with the Ducks by ridiculous drops from numerous different receivers that were going to be in the end zone, that were going to be drive-sustaining plays, and it ended up killing him, taking points off the board, etc., that being said, that happens to all quarterbacks from time to time. It just happened at an, it seemed to be to me at an exponential rate his last year at Oregon with Herbert. But look, your point remains, and I think there's a lot of defend defending of Joe Burrow, obviously so in our live chats. I think the point remains that some of these stats probably would have ticked upward with Joe Burrow later in the season had he remained healthy and gained more experience and played some of these teams like the Giants, the uh, finished out that Washington football team game. You played Dallas, you know, teams that were not very good uh, towards the end of your schedule there and getting a second go around with 
a Steelers team, a second look at the Ravens team, hopefully learning from those mis- those mistakes in those games the, from, from the first time. So I think some of those stats that were a little jarring um, would even out. You hope also that the Bengals getting offensive line help would even things out. That check down stat that you threw out, John, was just mind-boggling. Those are, those are plays that should be just gimmies. Um, and, and the fact that and I don't think this is, you know, Joe Burrow's fault. I think it's just the fact that the offense failed him this year. The offensive line, him being put in positions where sacks, negative run plays, they couldn't run the ball on early downs when they tried to do that, putting them in third and longs, second and longs all the time, put him in a bad position, a precarious position to make some of these, you know, some of these throws that, uh, you, you also mentioned, you know, high possible turnover rate on some of his throws. You know, that I, I think situationally, if, if you were to look at some of this stuff, that's where you actually point to, you know, some of the areas around Joe Burrow failing him, causing these kinds of stats that you were reading to us. And I, I expected this. A lot of people hate me in the comments. I understand because it just sounded like I was praising Justin Herbert. If you, <laughs> so if you took what I, you should have taken from that is that Joe Burrow's season was much better than his production indicated because he did high quality things that high quality quality quarterbacks do. And I know people talk about comparing the offensive line. Obviously Joe Burrow had a trash offensive line. Justin Herbert's offensive line was worse. It was bad. It was worse. It was yeah. it was terrible. Like obviously Bengals fans didn't watch Chargers games because why would they? <laughs> it was a worse <laughs> offensive line. Like that, 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 that's, that, that's not the point here. Like they both played behind bad offense lines. They both made the best out of it. I'm saying that the things that Justin Herbert did extremely well were the same things that Carson Wentz did extremely well in 2017. There's a reason why Carson Wentz has not kept up with that. It was, it was very unstable and he, and he did not do the stable things very well. And the fact that Joe Burrow did these things or, or had made these good decisions, made these high quality throws, made these good decisions under plays that he's going to see every single year. And like that, that's that's the production that you count on. The fact that he was producing at that level in those situations is indic- is indicative of him continuing a positive progression going forward. The main question now, it's not whether or not Joe Burrow gets better because some of these things will tick back in the other direction. They have to, like they always do. The real question is, if, is Justin Herbert going to keep this up? Like it's a, it's a fair question because like no matter what happens with Herbert, he's still talented enough to just last in the league for a long time. But... For him to repeat this performance in year two or year three or whatever, it would be it would be unlikely, and this is why. Like uh, at the end of the day, like people are asking, yeah, maybe the Bengals should have taken Justin Herbert. No, the correct decision was and still is Joe Burrow because he's still intellectually, mentally, he's a better quarterback right now, and he like Justin Herbert's just not on that level yet. He had a more he he just happened to have more favorable pr- situations where he produced at a higher level at areas that it, it doesn't really have anything to do with how good the quarterback is. It's a matter of how good your receivers are. It's just a matter of sometimes it's just luck. Like that, that's just how it happened. And that's the context of why you had Justin Herbert having the best statistical rookie season for a quarterback in recent memory. That's why you won the rookie 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 of the year. This stats kind of explains why you should still have faith in Joe Burrow. Not necessarily why you should have more faith in Justin Herbert. This actually explains why you should have less faith in Justin Herbert. That's the, that's the whole thesis of it. Great. Great point. And look, it's not a crime if both of these guys end up being very good NFL pros. 
It's, <laughs> I mean, if you look back to the 1970s, there were two quarterbacks drafted by these respective franchises and their, their careers paralleled each other and sometimes came converged a bit in Ken Anderson and Dan Fouts. And they both had excellent careers. So, and one, by the way, ended up beating the other in an AFC championship game in the early 1980s. So look, I mean, it's not a bad thing if both of these guys end up being very good, but I think to your point, John, that there, there are a lot of what ifs for this year for Joe Burrow, not only just staying healthy, but just a little bit better offensive scheming, offensive talent around him, that sort of thing. And maybe we'd see some of these metrics point a different way, but um, you know, I, I, I think sustainability is is the, the key here. And I think, you know, we're going to learn a lot about, I think we know already, even though his season ended prematurely, I think we know what's going on with Joe Burrow, what to expect going forward with Joe Burrow. I think a lot of people are, are wondering, hey, you know, great season from Justin Herbert. Can he sustain it? Like to your point, and we'll see if he can actually do that. But great stuff. This is on the PFF uh, quarterback annual. Is that right? P- PFF QB annual, yes. Yeah. Well, great stuff, and and thank you for pointing out all those stats on this week's State Your Case. Talking about getting Joe Burrow some more weapons, we got to talk free agency profile, and pretty much everybody we've we've done, I think, have been offensive linemen, and we did Cam Robinson last week. John went through a nice breakdown of him. Um, even some of the the draft guys we've talked about, Kyle Pitts, with you know Jamar Chase, we've talked about those guys in some state your case type of uh, segments as well. So you know we've we've talked a lot about the offense and helping Joe Burrow out. So that is nothing new on this on this show, and it's nothing new among Bengals fans. That's obviously what needs to happen and needs to be the focus this offseason for the Bengals. Now, I am not going to talk about an offensive lineman. I'm going to talk about a skill position player, believe it or not. And for those of you who regularly listen to this show, and my my poor co-host has heard me say it ad nauseum, the Cincinnati Bengals have four impending free agents at the wide receiver position, one including A.J. Green, their former all-world guy, their number one guy. Uh, I know he didn't always look like that last year, but their number one guy, uh, a special teamer in Alex Erickson, their speedy guy in John Ross. And, um, you know, they, they've, they're set to miss uh, – Mike Mike Thomas is another one. Um, you know, they're set to miss some elements in this offense. And there are a lot of different ways the team could go. They could go for the speedy guy, a gadget type of guy. That's where a lot of people are pointing to Curtis Samuel, potentially in free agency. You can point to, you know, Godwin, who you can move around a little bit. I, you know, I'm looking at Kenny Galladay. Now, there, there is uh, of the Lions, and that's who we're going to focus on this week. He is a, a big target, 6'3", 6'4", about 215, big catch radius, and a lot of – does brings a lot of different things to an offense. Now, before we get started, there's a lot of talk that Kenny Galladay could get franchise tagged by the Detroit Lions. Well, true – but a recent report, I believe it was by Jeff Risden on uh, on Twitter here. Um, there was he wants they offered Kenny Galladay sixteen million a year for a contract recently. Did the Lions and he declined it. So there's a little bit of hardball going on there, um, and I don't. I, I think also a lot of people say, okay, 16 million, that's a heavy price tag for a wide receiver if he wants that or north of it. Well, the Bengals paid 
north of that on a one-year deal to AJ Green, who was coming off a number of injuries himself. So they are they, they they've also paid guys like Lavernius Coles. I think at the time was I'd have to go back and look at the contract. I think it was double-digit millions there. Antonio Bryant before that, and those are guys that were at either at the end of their careers or you know we know what happened with Antonio Bryant knee issue and and never ended up coming. Uh, coming through for the team. The Bengals paid Chad Johnson. They paid Hushmanzada, not the second time, but I mean, they paid these guys. They pay wide receivers. They pay talented wide receivers, even ones um, who are lesser, like I mentioned, Coles and, and and Bryant and others that they've brought in. They paid T.O. to come in at the end of his career. So they, they pay wide receivers. And like we said, the Bengals will have some space, not only already that they have, but also that they may be freeing up from some other contracts. So that I, I don't know that that is specifically an issue and it doesn't seem that AJ green is going to be coming back. So, you know, if you want to allocate similar money to a guy who's younger and entering technically the prime of his career, I, I think that this is a, a good, a good move here. Now, before I get into some of these, this is kind of PFF night here on, on uh, the show. But before I get to some of that, I did watch some film on Kenny Galladay you know, he, he does a lot of stuff on the boundary on the outside, but they do line him up. They have lined him up, did the Lions in the slot. They moved him around a couple of different times. So he is a movable piece. Um, and, and he's a guy that can do things in the red zone. Now, what the Lions did quite often is they like to spread it out a lot because they had a lot of receiving options. You know, Marvin Jones, another guy who is a free agent, by the way, um, they, they like to spread the ball out and let M- Matt Stafford wing it around the field a bit. So, uh, he is a guy that can move around like the Bengals have done with A.J. Green. You've seen A.J. Green play in the slot before. You've seen him play outside. And Galladay can do the things that move the sticks but also stretch the field. So uh, let's let's look at a couple of the, the stats here um, from a value standpoint in terms of what Kenny Galladay brings to the Bengals. So this is kind of PFF stats here. You can look – here, highest contested catch rate since 2019, Kenny Galladay, 67%, and look at the other names there. Why contested catch rate? Well, John, for some of the reasons that you just espoused in your state, your case, the, the tight window throws and some of those areas that Joe Burrow excels, that's a big deal. And it's also a profile in a wide receiver that Zach Taylor and the Cincinnati Bengals covet out of their wide receivers. They like guys to make the tough catches, make the red zone plays, make the tough catches across the middle and, and sustain drives. So that is why that stat specifically kind of rings, rings true for Galladay being a fit for the Bengals. Now you look here, uh, this is, he is one of their top free agents. Um, Here's his score, 81.6 the third highest among the available wide receivers that they have in their top free agent wide receivers there. So he's putting up a a pretty solid score there. Let's look again at this one here from pro football focus. Uh, This is the grade and rank how they rank of free the free agent wide receivers we just spoke of, Will Fuller, Chris Godwin, Allen Robinson, since 2018. And you see Kenny Galladay, 86.2, another solid score. 
uh, spanning over the past few seasons there. So you got to like what you're seeing on a lot of these stats from a pro football focus standpoint, if you are a PFF geek like John and I are. And then, of course, here's some more, I believe, the contested targets in the last two seasons. Check out the rates there. Highest graded wide receivers on contested targets in the last two seasons. Kenny Galladay, 96.7. So when there's a tight window, when there's tight coverage, when there's maybe an errant throw and he's in the area, chances are he's coming down with that football. And the Bengals had problems with that on a number of different fronts last year, John. So they got, they, they, this is a guy, he's going to cost a lot of money, but he's in the prime of his career. He brings size and he brings a lot of talent. What's the, what are the issues? Well, if you look at the stats, it's a little bit of missed time. And anytime you say injury in terms of a free agent with a Bengals acquisition, you get a little gun shy, but only played five games last year. Uh, so you look at the numbers pretty paltry, but you have to look at 2018 and 2019 back-to-back thousand yard seasons, 16 total touchdowns, you know, over 70 yards per game. Uh, you know, just a guy and, and putting up these numbers in an offense where there are a lot of receiving options already on the field. So chances are he, he will be franchised. That's kind of the, the prevailing opinion. He, he will be franchised potentially by the lions, but he could, it could be a franchise and trade because he is disenchanted with the Lions franchise. It could be a situation where they just end up don't want to they don't want to pay that much money. But he is a guy, I think, even though he will cost a lot of money, I think he is worth it despite the injury risks. Yeah, so Kenny Gold is a spectacular player. Um I, I guess the reason why he's like below Chris Godwin is just because like you mentioned, the injury issues, and also because he's a little bit older. Godwin, I think, is like 25, and, and Galladay was like an older rookie when he came in. He was like 23, yeah. 24. He was 27, yeah. and, and still pretty young for a second contract, I guess. But like, I, I think that's just like a minor risk because, you know, he's got maybe a shorter shelf life. But like the Lions were right to offer that deal for him. I think that contract was offered maybe like last offseason, I think was what uh, Jeff Risen said. But like, even still, like after missing 11 games, like you, you'd think that his value wouldn't like increase that much, but he like, he's, he's going to be worth whatever someone pays him because like he, like you said, he is exactly what Joe Burrow would succeed with in this offense. Like he is a, like along with Jamar chase and Kyle Pitts guys who would succeed on those back shoulder throws and, and get in getting vertical and winning in tight coverage. Like Galladay is exactly that exact mold. And going back to QB annual, they not only have quarterback stats, they have wide receiver stats. And specifically on third down, interestingly enough, Galladay only played five games. He was targeted nine times on third down, caught seven of them with an average depth of target of 17 yards. Compare that to AJ Green this past season. Green was targeted 22 times on third down, only hauled in nine of them for an average depth of target of 14 yards. So if you replace Galladay with Green on the field on those third downs when Joe Burrow wasn't that productive, I think you get a much more f- effective and efficient Joe Burrow. Like obviously T Higgins, Tyler Boyd are money on third down, especially specifically Tyler Boyd. And as soon as T Higgins gets more involved, he's going to kind of mold into that as well. Galdi is already there. Like in terms of just replacing AJ green on the depth chart and giving him a hundred and 120 targets, like you're going to see immediate production. And I know people are saying like they can't afford Galdi. They need help on the offensive line. Like DJ reader was not 
like their main target last year for free agency. They were initially going at linebacker, right? They, they were looking yep. at Joe Sherbert and they were they might have signed Joe Sherbert if he didn't go to Jacksonville. So once they missed out on the top linebacker, they went to DJ Reader, another high valued free agent on their board at another at a completely other position. The Bengals missed out on like a top offensive lineman. They still have money to spend, right? Like like say say they, they can't get Joe Tooney for whatever reason. Say Taylor Moden, Brandon Scherf, Trent Williams, they all go back to their original teams. Like there's there's no 40 50 million dollar offensive lineman out there to sign anymore like that money has to go someplace else and i feel like wide receiver should be the next position that they kind of turn to because they do they do need someone legitimately to, to replace green and if galladay wants out of detroit and he wants to find an offense that will feature him as a number one guy or a, like a top two guy and a quarterback that fits exactly what his skill set is i can't think of a better place than cincinnati indications are that he'd does not want to be there, especially with Stafford now gone. If you're Jared Goff, I don't know. I don't know how you're taking that news, but uh, you know, it's, he doesn't, it it sounds like he doesn't want to be there. It's a matter of if he will be forced to be there, Um, which, which is the case also with the offensive lineman that you talked about. I mean, they may, they may be franchise tagged and they're just gone. And so the Bengals need to be forced to pivot like they were last year. And, this is an area of need, and the, the point is, yeah, we. I mean, we've gone over the last few weeks, offensive lineman, offensive lineman, offensive lineman. But the point is, you know, either if you miss out on one of these offensive linemen, you end up not paying them, or they are just dead set and going only on in the draft for offensive linemen. Then they need to do some things at some other positions and spend quite a bit of money at some other positions to to greatly improve their football team. And I think that Kenny Galladay is a, is a player who can really help this team out. Now, some people may look at him and his skill set and say he's more of the same, the big guy, the kind of Auden Tate, all that, you know, catch radius, not necessarily a burner, but this guy can move. This guy can catch the ball. And, you know, I, I think big targets and guys that can come down with the football in contested situations can only help Joe Burrow. Yeah, everybody wants the speed guy. I, you know, I, we all wanted John Ross to work out. But, um, you know, I think if you if you take – this year out of the equation for Kenny Galladay and you look at the last two years, I think there's a lot to like in this offense for, for him fitting with Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor. hundred percent. And going back to the financials, if they were to, you know, come to the agreement on Galladay, it'd be like the biggest, like at least average annual value for a receiver that they've ever paid for. But also like once green is off the books, like officially and as well as John Ross, like there's not a lot of money tied up to receivers. Like I know people think that they should be content with Higgins and Boyd, but they're not paying a lot for, for receivers, and like you kind of get what you pay for. Like Higgins and Boyd, like you can survive if those two are your top two guys, but it's not it's not easy to survive. I think Ryan Patrick said this great on Twitter at, at Royal Red Legs. Like people forget the prime Chad days, the prime AJ days, where not everything was so tough. It wasn't always contested situations. It, was, it wasn't always like scrapping for these third down conversions. Like these guys were just those two were just open always right and they were just they just made it look easy and it made the offense so much better if you have a legitimate number one receiver it makes things so much easier and i know people are like well if you get a number one receiver you can limit what higgins can be no you make him better you don't force him into being something that he may never become like higgins can be a great player but he may never be the all-around weapon that a guy like galladay already is or a guy like jamar chase can be or or whoever you want to throw into the offense like it doesn't hurt to add more legitimate weapons and they're going to have money to spend if they can't get an offensive lineman, and they definitely need to invest more in the receiver group. So I, I definitely sanction um, at least targeting Galladay if he, if he becomes available. Yep, just a matter of if. 
Well, that's the free agency profile this week. We'll be continuing those and be we'll, we'll start diving into some draft profiles as well as the draft nears a lot to get to there. So we will do that, but wanted to talk about Kenny Galladay, a guy who's intriguing. There is some risk there, both in price tag and some injury history, but um, you know, the talent is through the roof and a guy that could really help this offense probably only want to give him that one without one, one next contract though, given the age, like you said, but uh, that, that could be enough. This has been the orange and black insider Bengals podcast. We're going to drop the mic and get out of here. Uh, John final thoughts. What do, what do you got for us? My friend. Well, I hope everyone out there had a good Valentine's Day. Um, if, if you ended up celebrating it with your significant other, I'm, I'm assuring you it, it went more smoothly than mine. I told my <laughs> co-host the story, and I'm going to tell you all as well because I have no shame. Um, my girlfriend's favorite flowers are lilies, specifically Easter lilies. So being the guy that I am, I got her an Easter lily arrangement for Valentine's Day at uh, Green's Florist, which is in Norwood. Definitely check them out. They do a great job. Um, my girlfriend has a cat and neither of us knew that cats are deathly allergic to lilies. The cat's fine, but it did spend two days in an animal hospital over Valentine's day. And my girlfriend is also now preparing for step one, which in medical school is like the most important thing you do in medical school. Mm -hmm. So I gave my girlfriend a lot of unnecessary stress (laughs) over a a weekend that was supposed to be very romantic. Everything's fine. Um, for, for some reason we're still together. She didn't, Shouldn't dump my ass for that. And the cat is perfectly <laughs> healthy. The cat just has a shaved paw right now because she had to get an IV and fluids. Basically flush out the kidneys. Like the, the pollen from the lilies apparently goes right to their kidneys and causes kidney failure. Not did not eat any of the, any of the flowers. We, we we got her to the hospital before that, but not my greatest moment. And I felt like everyone should know that. Yeah, literally had no idea. Uh I used to have a cat, pretty pretty awesome little cat. Um and my mom went when I was younger and living back with my parents. Um, and my mom's favorite flower, I think, or, or one of them is Easter lilies. And uh, so we, we probably had those things around my cat and I had no idea. Uh, it, so is it just the pollen or is it like, do they have to like chew on them or like what? Like I heard it was just the pollen where it's like, you don't have to eat them. If, if you even like, if the cat even like ingests the pollen, it goes like straight oh, to weird. the kidneys. I don't know a lot about it, but. Yeah, it wasn't great. And also, as Dr. Huday mentions in the chat, Logan Wilson joins Akeem Adenogy as members of the 2020 draft class to get engaged. He just got engaged to his girlfriend, I think, on the field of, of uh, Wyoming football. So congrats to Logan and his girlfriend. And yeah, I'm, I'm assuming he didn't mess up um, his, his girlfriend's cat. So good for him. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I don't, I don't have too much uh, this week. I, I kind of was preparing all the, the other stuff and the, the Galladay stuff, but uh, you know, I guess I would just, I would just say, I echo what I said on Monday, just, you know, the weather's kind of crazy in some places right now and driving's a little sketchy. I was telling John after the show last week that, Hey, you know, if you're going to be driving a distance, you know, I know it's could be icy, snowy, all that kind of stuff. So just be careful. I know Texas is getting hit pretty hard, Ohio, Kentucky, I think some other places as well. I don't know if that's kind of started to clear up a bit, but um, you know, just, just be safe out there. Don't drive like a maniac and uh, (laughs) um be careful with with the weather conditions. I know it's kind of crazy. So um, I'm glad you I'm glad you were safe, John. I'm sorry mm-hmm. to hear about the cat, but I am glad. Cat's fine. Cat. Uh, n- n- no, nothing on the internet sparks more news than someone messing up a cat. The cat is perfectly fine. Perfectly <laughs> healthy. She's great. 
I, you know, I had a, I had a dog too. And they, I think he got a hold one time of Sago palm seeds or something, palm tree seeds. And those are, those like wreck their liver or something. They get really, really sick. So it's kind of a similar thing. It sounds like funky little, funky little plant that, that gets, gets to them. But anyway, vet school is out. So uh, <laughs> we're going to get on out of here, John. Thanks for everything, bud. Uh, we will see all of you next time. Enjoy the rest of your week. This has been the orange and black insider. Bengals podcast for John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. See you soon.